0: Welcome to Hyraith, the home of modern Welsh politics.
1: Mark Drakeford has announced that he will be stepping down as First Minister in March 2024. After trailing his decision in the press recently, he is fulfilling his promise to step down after five years in the role. Five long and eventful years that put him and his government front and centre of people's lives in Wales in a way that no other Welsh First Minister has experienced. How will he and his term leading the national government be reflected on? What are the objectives for his final few months in post? And with the UK party likely to win at the next union-wide general election, what should we expect from the most consequential Welsh Labour leadership race in history? To discuss this, we are joined by our two Welsh Labour whisperers, our very own Matthew Hexter. Hello there, Richard. And political commentator and good friend of the pod, Liz Silversmith. Good evening. Good evening, and may I say how fine you sound, Liz. Um, <laughs> it's almost
2: like I have a great microphone on. <laughs>
1: yeah, indeed, absolutely. Matthew, can I start with you? Um of course. What just happened and why did it happen?
0: Well, Mark Drakeford, as you said, has just uh, decided that he's going to retire as First Minister of Wales. He uh, spoke from the Oriel of the Senate this morning, announcing that... He will uh, leave the post of first minister in March of 2024. In terms of why this has happened, well, I think Mark thinks it's time. Uh, Mark has always said since he was elected that he would only serve five years in the role. Uh, And today, being five years to the day he was elected as first minister, I think he felt it was the apt moment to uh, announce his intention to retire.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think um, I've already had some messages from friends and family being like, whoa, what happened? Why is he resigning? And I've been saying, he actually said from the very beginning, um, he was only going to do five years or so. He's mentioned a few different milestones. He said five years, he said when I'm 70, he said midterm, all of which all of these, today, all of those sort of coincide. We're about midterm through the Senate term. He is 70, just about to turn 70. Next year. Thank you, Matt. And um, well, we've got to keep track of Mark's birthdays. And um, yeah, and and I think Matt's right. It's, he's been through a lot. I mean, I think extremely, extremely stable government, considering what we've been through and considering what's been going on across the border. When you think of in Wales, Drakeford's overseeing the pandemic and Brexit together. I think it's time.
0: It's also I think, a mark of the man that he's, you know, he's had an incredibly difficult year personally as well with a yeah. of wife. Uh, I, I think the man has the strength of an ox to carry uh, on in the role as long as he has after that very horrible and traumatic experience for himself. And I think he it is testament to his sense of public duty and obligation that he's stayed in the role as long as he has. Uh, and obviously to a time where he thinks that he can now have a, an organised uh, leadership election for his for his successor.
1: Very quickly, I wonder if we should just cover some of the things that he talked about in terms of his commitments things that he wants to see through in the past we've talked about some of the projects that and legislation that has been key to his outlook um as Welsh labour leader and first minister we talked about the social um partnership bill and various other things in the past what is the what is the business that he wants to make sure is is done under his watch and before he steps down
2: He's, he's done quite a lot, but like I say, I think he'd probably I think he probably regrets himself that there was a lot more that I expect was on his to do list, and then a pandemic happened. And anyone that's been working in the Cardiff Bay bubble has been dealing with just uh, reams and reams of post EU kind of tidying up. Um, and that that's a casual terms. So it's it's much more dramatic than that. You can essentially both the UK government and devolved governments have been able to accept or rewrite EU legislation as they see fit. And, and as it happens, Scotland and Wales, for various reasons, have decided to keep quite firm alignment with previous EU principles, let's say. Um, so he's, he's done, I mean, over the last few years, I mean, there's been quite a few bills that have gone through, but I would say honestly, just being that figurehead of the government when the government finally played a a ridiculously high profile role in people's lives. You know, Mark Drakeford appeared on BBC News to tell you where you could go next week. he was subject to the sort of scrutiny that no first minister before him has been subject to. And I think it's also timely. And I don't think it's on purpose. I think it's just an interesting timing that's in, um, I think it's it's early spring, like February, March next year, is expected to give evidence to that COVID inquiry. So that really will be his, this is what I did and why I did it final account. But yeah, in the Senate the last few years, we've had the clean air and soundscapes bill. Um, that's just finished. There was the bus reform set that hasn't actually finished yet. I'm looking at Matt, because mm. my sector, I focus on one policy area these days. The decisions he's made, there was a very controversial decision, which I don't think anyone will have forgotten, that the M4 relief road was never built. Um Carwin Jones was going to build it, and that was a big um line in the sand between Carwin and Mark, is that Mark did all the due diligence and waited for the planning inspector reports. And this is a policy that's been around since Edwina Hart, so it's not... You know it's something that's been inherited from fm to fm and he finally even though the planning inspectorate said uh you know our current planning rules go ahead i suppose he said actually no i've spoken to environment charities i've spoken to campaigners i've spoken i've been to the gwent levels and he's spoken to ms's like john griffiths who are really powerful and that and he said no for environmental considerations i'm overruling this um, and that was incredible sign to the sector that wow this guy doesn't really care what people think of him he just wants to do what he needs to do
0: You can take the boy out of Newport West, but uh, I shall not speak about the M4. Uh, I think um, going back to what Liz said about the things that Mark once wanted to do, but maybe not have had the opportunity to do, I think I want to call back to the interview we had with him, Rich, just before the Senate election, where he talked about his time involved in government in Wales. So whether that be his role as special advisor to Roger Morgan or the variety of ministerial roles he's held, I think there's one thing that's very clear is the impact of austerity on his plans. I think that you can see that if he'd had more money we would have had a much more ambitious progressive agenda uh, for Wales. I think Mark's fundamental principle is universal uh, is progressive universalism and I think we would have seen much more uh, happen in 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 that of that ilk in the policy of the Welsh government had they had the resources to do it. I think one thing that's going to be very contemporary for people listening to this discussion now is um what's going to happen with Senate reform. I think we're seeing that bill under more and more pressure uh in recent weeks. I think that the the gender quotas part of that legislation is in real trouble. But the uh, main part of the bill, i.e. increasing the number of Senate members, is also now feeling extremely stressed and becoming much, much more hard to think that it's actually going to happen. I still think it will, for what it's worth, but I think it's going to be very difficult to to mm-hmm. get through. Um, and, and he I did think do it...
2: the first 50-50 gender, gender balance cabinet, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and he's been very clear with his, his aims in that area. Um, but I think that uh, I, I don't think that March timeline for him leaving is... Um, It's just happenstance. I think that's when a lot of people are predicting that the um, Senedd reform bill will go through. So I think he wants to usher that in before he leaves. I think that's what he really wants to be, his legacy in terms of uh, this sort of nation-building effect on the Senedd and and Wales. Um, But I think fundamentally, he's always going to be the COVID-FM. I mean, we can try as hard as we may to create our own legacies, but unfortunately, they tend to be written for us. And... He will always be the COVID FM.
2: It's mm. it's events, dear boy, events, isn't it? It's um, I I would literally was struggling to think of the bills because all I could think of was COVID and Brexit. But I'm I'm just bringing up, bringing up some notes. And yeah, he has he has actually done quite a bit. I mean, that social partnership and procurement bill is obviously his his baby, as it were, for legislatively. But the senator reform he feels very passionately about. He's always been a very pro devolution. Lest we forget his background, spout to to Roger Morgan. He's ushered through devolution with his hands by his side. But they, they have still managed to do a lot. The agriculture bill earlier this year was no mean feat. He's got the plied co-op agreement that's been held up um, with Adam Price and Rena Pureworth to keep Labour a working majority. Um, And they've also done quite a bit on developing Welsh taxes. I mean, setting it up to modify Welsh taxes. I should add, no one's ever modified a Welsh tax. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they banned single use plastic products. Like he's he's put climate change and nature really front and center with the climate change and deputy climate change minister. He obviously suffered the brunt of, along with Lee Waters at the 20 mile per hour stuff, even though this is pretty bold, low traffic neighborhood stuff. This is stuff that even the Scottish Greens and Scottish government can't get through.
0: Yeah, on 20 mile an hour, I think it's worth just picking in at that bit. I think I think it's quite clear that a 20 mile an hour policy, or at least the handling and communication element of that policy, has started to have a, a negative impact on Welsh Labour polling. Um, and, I th- and and Mark's own personal polling as well. And I think that, you know, we were talking about whether this was a surprise, really. and I, And again, I don't think it's necessarily a surprise. My understanding is that Mark has tried to stand down a couple of times already this year but it felt by those in Transport House that they wanted him to lead any general election campaign because he was the most popular politician in the history of Wales, the most well-known politician in the history of the Senate. So I think they wanted him to be front and center of that campaign. But as his favorability has declined, I think the incentive for Welsh Labour to keep him around in that sort of figurehead role has also declined at the same time.
1: Yeah, and and just in that in that that legacy as well. You mentioned his earlier ministerial career. Although you know the, his role as health minister was as troubled as everybody else's time as a, in the health ministerial job, his time as finance minister also brought in the fiscal framework, which um, is now we're looking at being remodeled, being picked up by Northern Ireland because it's been seen as such a success in terms of kind of providing a baseline of income and a guarantee of future income. You know, he he generally won quite a lot of plaudits, uh, in, particularly in that role as finance minister, before he became first minister mm. as well. Yeah, so, it wasn't um, an
2: easy, it's never been an easy job, don't get me wrong. But um, he was an extremely resilient and reliable finance minister. And I think... Was he
1: also a rhythmical uh, finance well, <laughs> minister? Uh, well, oh, we'll get onto the yeah. fun stuff later,
2: but he ha- he's sure got rhythm. Um, or no, the means. <laughs> casting yes. my mind back to the previous Senate before 2021. Um, I think it's he as a health minister. Yeah, every, every single health minister struggles. We the NHS in Wales is is just structurally a difficult, difficult beast to to manage, let like alone fund. Mm. Um, but he did all right. I remember the public health bill well. We're monitoring together at time or, or not or not certainly very near that time and. The public health bill fell when mark drake when it was it was a more party political thing the the cheap date remark and all those things but let's not get into that but anyway he tried to funnily enough it's come back into legislation into legislation proposals now but he proposed to ban all uh vapes um disposable vapes reusable vapes he didn't want vaping to be a thing he thought we've done really well with smoking let's not make va- vaping a thing and, and it fell came back the next term without those proposals in he also attempted local government reform again something no one's ever managed really properly and yet everyone in wales would agree that having more councillors than ms's and the sheer amount of Councils and wards could easily be reformed, but he didn't manage that either. I think the fact he tackled either of them was impressive. He's also done things like votes at 16, where he can in, in local government. He's also banned letting agency fees under, you know, various renting homes legislation, reformed housing. He's kept council budgets as, as stable as he can. As stable as he can. But he's really passionate about social services and health and the safety net, the safety net of government and what it provides to its citizens. And I think he would be proud if he left a legacy of a Welsh citizen, feel slightly safer or more pre- free prescriptions, mm. you know, is it, the symbolic policy. He protected free prescriptions when he easily could have started charging them anytime he wanted.
1: We probably should move on. I just have a, a, a sort of thought. We've talked, we've done a little bit of a dive into the history books there. I, I think we we probably would do our listeners, uh, particularly maybe younger listeners, um, good service if we compared his tenure to his predecessors as first minister, um, you know, uh, I'm going to roll Alan Michael into this uh, conversation just because I don't have to go into the, the difference between a first minister and a first secretary. Um,
2: definitely. Uh,
1: yeah, definitely
0: counts. It definitely counts. Definitely sort <laughs>
2: says, of. counts. Um, the former Alan Michael Staffer. Former Alan Michael Staffers
0: views count too. <laughs> what, what?
1: How would we compare Mark Drakeford's tenure, I mean, you mentioned COVID, and the profile that came with that as being obviously a differentiator. I mean, is that that the main thing? Is that the the main point of difference? But but there has definitely been an evolution of the profile of first ministers over time, even though their characters have not been wildly dissimilar.
2: Well, yes, from a, no, they don't look wildly dissimilar, but I think working up close I would say Marx distinct leftyism. Um, he is a left wing guy. He is proudly a socialist. Um, when was the last time you heard that in UK Labour? Can I hear Jeremy Corbyn somewhere? Like as a as a previous Corbynite, I I seek Mark Drakeford's calm embrace of, of um, progressive, agreeable socialism with a centrist hint so no one gets too offended. But cent- when he talks about progressive universalism and, and hey, guys, check out that Heroes blog I wrote about what is Drakefordism, <laughs> I'll tweet it later. Yeah, he, he is quite lefty. And I'd say Alan, oh, Alan was only there for the first year, he basically ushered in devolution in a very difficult background. Yeah, he suffered because he was a Blairite, right? as it were. He literally worked in, in in Tony Blair's cabinet in Westminster. Who could blame anybody for saying, "Oh, Blair's just putting his favourite guy there." I and he he managed to step aside, I think, with with Grace in the end. But Rodri Morgan and Mark Drakeford are both distinctly left wing, the clear red water, etc. Whereas I'd say Carwin and Alan were much more centre left of of the Labour Party.
1: One of the things that's just interesting to draw a parallel with again. Uh, is that we are on our third successive scheduled well executed transition of party leadership and you know leader of government role in Wales, and that you know is a pretty steep contrast to the shenanigans and skullduggery and all manner of other things that we've seen east of the border over the last few years. What does this tell us about the the role of leader of Welsh labour and the role of first minister you know are we is this calm by nature or is this calm transition happening because of the pure continued strength of the welsh
0: labour party uh yes a little bit to that uh last question but also because i without getting too geeky um you know, there's matthew, no way <laughs> matthew when,
1: when we have guests on this podcast and they say oh i might be a bit geeky you normally say something like you're at home here yeah, yeah, the, yeah
0: you're yeah. among friends so um there's no mechanism to get rid of the leader of welsh labor so uh, whilst you could theoretically, I imagine, have some sort of vote of no confidence in the First Minister, which may then trigger a Labour leadership election, there is no constitutional method by which MSs, MPs or members can get rid of a Welsh Labour leader. So that's probably one of the reasons why we have, well, i say one of the reasons why it's not possible to have the sort of shenanigan leadership elections that have been seen by both the UK Labour and the UK Conservative Party. Um, but I also think that the sort of, political center of gravity in wales is much closer uh together in terms of whom we elect as a labour party i think that by, by the very nature of electing two three hundred people you're going to have a much broader divide in terms of political ideologies which i just don't think we we see here in wales i and i i've always said this and i i hold true to it that in wales even our blairites are quite left-wing you know it's it, there is not that big of a difference and if again not getting into who's going to be next. But if you look at the main front runners for who could succeed Mark Drakeford, actually, in terms of their political identity and ideology, there's not a huge amount between them. So it, it, it is, I'm trying to think of the word, this this sort of...
2: It's established. There's a, There's an established yeah. way of doing things from Welsh government, and it's been a Welsh Labour government since 1999. So strong strong robust funding of public services as much as they can good relationships with trade unions so much they legislated for it fighting back against any UK legislation they think is in devolved areas that has been consistent of a Welsh Labour government no matter whether they're in cooperation with Plaid Cymru or Lib Dems or whoever I mean hey last term we always forget Kirsty Williams is in government and that was Welsh Labour yes it's it's called an electoral machine yes it's very Good at what it does, but ironically, the um, electoral system of the Senate right now—it's going to change um, because of Mark and because of the work he did with with Playa Cymru and getting that through. he so needed a two-thirds majority. How, how, let's do a geek off. <laughs> 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 how many how many rules and procedures from the Senate can we bring up? Um, but yeah, I I think that is a strongly there is a Welsh government thing. No first minister candidate is now going to be like, right, rip it up. We're not prioritising schools, hospitals, or people anymore. Like uh, pff, poverty. Ugh. And there's not going to be any massively pro-nationalist type Labour leader in this foreseeable future is going to go, yeah, you know what, Keir Starmer, we demand, let's assume Keir Starmer's in government, let's not get into that, but, let, you know, <laughs> demand further devolution, demand justice, demand policing, demand all the next raft of powers, because I think that's the next Senate term, I will predict another Wales Act of some kind, if and only if there's a UK Labour government um, but I think it's going to be, in, what, what's the next one going to face is, is is? it's almost, they're going to be facing these things because of what the previous First Minister has done, because of what they negotiated with the Evolution Acts.
1: Mm. Well, I, I think that's a really good point because this whoever is elected in this uh, Labour leadership, upcoming Labour leadership campaign is going to do something that no other Welsh Labour leader has had to do before, which is prepare for the election of a new UK Labour leader at Westminster, which is you know, very much odds on. Um, And that's why I think this one is going to be particularly more consequential, because you're going to have somebody from Wales trying to influence that campaign to be able to get what they want ready for, you know, potential Wales Act or, you know, whatever the legislative programme of that UK Labour um, government might be. Or
2: perhaps they'll go straight into... What Kier used to talk about in his leadership campaign, the, the federal type structures and the things Gordon Brown has been talking about and the Constitutional Convention that Carwyn kept talking about, these things have kind of been on the radar. For
1: a Absolutely. Long time. And that's why we like to have jokes in the podcast, um, because it really keeps, <laughs> lightens the mood uh, uh, and such. Matthew.
0: Can I have one substantive point on this as, as well, Rich, is that it's a very <laughs> interesting thing you talk about the next uh, UK Labour government. But I think we're all fairly happy that. Just looking
2: that. at the polls, that's all. Looking
0: at the polls, yeah.
2: They can mess it all up still.
0: Not to be Nostradamus about it or anything. But there is one uh, fundamental question that I think will, uh, will really matter to the next Labour leader. For the last 13 years, the first line of defence for the Welsh Labour Party against any issue with public services has been that we are underfunded, chronically underfunded by a UK government led by the Conservative Party. What happens to that first line of defence when it is a UK government run by the Labour Party? And that is, I think, a fundamental question that whoever comes after Mark is going to have to face.
2: To do we have a Barnett formula klaxon at all?
0: Oh, we
1: should do. We should do. It would be the sound of air going out of a balloon or something rather than a klaxon. <laughs> That's like what klaxon Barnett sounds, sounds- like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, with regards, we, talk- we talked a little bit about some of the um issues that uh, mark drakeford has come in for criticism for i think one of the things that's certainly from my point of view i've noticed with mark drakeford uh, in a way that it's something that happened, has happened to him that hasn't happened to his predecessors is that for all of the good faith criticism that he's had of his success or failure of him and his government um, there's been an awful lot of bad faith criticism of Mark Drakeford, uh, I've, you know, you don't have to spend too long on the rapidly crumbling edifice of Twitter or various other things to see him being described as an author, authoritarian, uh, what's the uh, Kim Jong Mark or whatever, um, you know, it's all this they're kind they're of very weird. good.
2: They could be pithier.
1: Yeah. They could be pithier. I just want to kind of a, a touch on this because it, it kind of is a change in the way that the Welsh public and the, the UK public more widely have referred to the holder of the role. And I just wonder if this is kind of like the first time that 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 threshold has crossed, where now the holder of the post of First Minister of Wales is now, in inverted commas, game for this kind of um, straw man kind of criticism. And what does that necessarily mean for the kind of discourse that we've had in the over the years here in Wales? I mean, this is a kind of new thing and it is being given oxygen in Wales by certain people in Wales as well.
2: Public awareness is a double edged sword. Unfortunately, even though the vast majority of polling at the time saw the public go, Yes, we actually think our first minister is doing really well with COVID, and we think that he's doing his best with a very bad hand, who's, you know, literally staying up at night, counting how many people are dying in care homes and figuring out where the vaccines can go. I think the public really chimed and um were in alignment with his more he was slightly more cautious in england overall i mean you can there's a million articles on how things different but he was more cautious and um a little bit more robust and strict on certain things um and yeah the because of um these policies having more of a difference in people's lives and a 20 mile per hour was another sort of uh, lightning bolt of what do you call it <laughs> attracts that kind of um vitriol. And you can have a 100 people that agree or 99 people that agree with a government and one person that hates what they've done. And so that one person that will be shouting the 99 other people have got better things to do than to troll Lee Waters or Mark Drakeford or any other minister for what they've done to their commute and how terrible it is. I actually think Welsh ministers are dealing with it pretty well, but it definitely must be really stressful. And I do wonder how much that puts off nominations for candidates putting themselves forward for nominations you're nominating yourself for you know memes are you being turned to a dictator every time you do something that's unpopular Hmm.
1: matthew can i throw to you the criticism that we've heard from these kinds of quarters that in covid mark drakeford was is criticized for doing things differently for the sake of it um and that is something that appears to be contradicted by the evidence that we've seen in the UK COVID inquiry. Um, but of course, that criticism is sticking and uh, again, has been ox- given oxygen by people who wish to believe that or wish to undermine the role of devolution um, in the United Kingdom. And um, what do you think about the, the, the reflections on that time of COVID and the criticism that Mark Drakeford gets in that regard?
0: Uh, I think that this image of him as some sort of, you know, quote unquote dictator, uh, is also often uh, used by people who think of Mark Drakeford as some sort of crazy Welsh nationalist. And despite the hopes and prayers of, I'm sure, many people in the Welsh uh, political bubble, that could not be further from the truth. Mark is one of the most pure ideological unionists you could ever hope to meet. He may not wave the union flag around above his head every five minutes, but in terms of how he thinks the states should function, he Mm. thinks there are certain functions that are best exercised at a UK level, which is why he has never really wanted to touch income tax powers. It's why he has never called for the devolution of welfare in a, a meaningful way. It's why he, during the COVID pandemic, made every effort to do it exactly what was happening in England and in Scotland until such a point as which he felt it was unsafe to do so. Mm. So I just think it could not be further from the truth.
2: Um, I was just going to say I I kind of almost forgot about that but yes, he's always been incredibly insistent that shared, again, it's it's progressive universalism, but um, he... The, the the UK nation does better on an ideological basis, on a on a strategic economic basis as four nations with one shared treasury that di- redistributes He's always, he's always said that very consistently. It would have been interesting if he was of a different mindset, but yeah, it's a very good point to make.
1: Uh, and and what always what always strikes me when we think about COVID is how publicly Mark Drakeford was. Uh, calling for improved coordination among the nations of the United Kingdom in response. And it appears to be that the the pushback was mostly coming from uh, number 10 at that time, or when they were sober. Um, I can say (laughs) that because I can edit it out. Sorry, no, I probably won't actually. Um, Right. So what do we think Mark Drakeford is going to do um, after he is no longer First Minister? Is he, presumably, he's going to stay on the back benches and see out this Senate term? Um, what do we expect him to do during that time?
0: I think he's going to be a really good backbencher. We were chatting about this before. I think he's going to be a really good backbencher. He's going to find a nice committee where he can talk about his interests. But also, I went to an event with him uh, a couple of months ago, held in Bridgend, which was all about the constitutional future of the UK. And he was very clear that if there is a Labour government elected at a Westminster level, All this constitutional change has to happen within the first year of that Labour government, or it will never happen at all. So it wouldn't shock me if he spent that first year of that Labour government until the Senate election in 2026 acting as a grandee and statesman trying to ensure that the UK Labour Party uh, does what it says it would do and implement some constitutional change. That might be
1: a genuinely more difficult task than handling COVID, but we wait and see. (laughs) Liz,
2: just, sorry, Liz. I was going to say, I, you've just popped a thought into my brain that only just occurred to me that he will likely be invited to the House of Lords at some point. He is a First Minister from the First Minister, right, Honourable. So um, he could, I mean, Ellis Thomas and Leonard Morgan were talking, were great conduits during the last Wales Act between the Welsh Government and uk labor even you know the uk labor and welsh labor do not talk as much as you think um (laughs) and i'll just leave that there but they do not and um i think yeah i think that's a really good prediction that he will use his influence and prestige and hopefully easy audience getting with uk ministers if they're in power to say right you need to sort this out um he definitely has strong views on it but he's also been very careful in how he advances them um so I, i'd love to see i would i've never said that i'd barely say anything about the house of lords but for once i'd love to see someone in the house of lords because it would be a good place but i almost think he'd just say no actually i'd rather do it from here i don't want to pop up to london that regularly i've got my allotment to tend to uh i really hope he gets a lot more allotment time when he's a backbencher
1: he would also be the first leader of welsh labour moved to the house of lords he would yeah well, that, that's he never will. happened before, is it? Carolyn Jones, there was talk of Carolyn Jones being nominated as House Lords, that's never materialised uh, as yet. Uh, in fact, he has a professorship at Aberystwyth University, which sure. is far more prestigious. Um, um, so uh, it's a bit premature, um, but a kind of equally inevitable that we start looking forward to the future leadership uh, election that will inevitably start uh, in real, really mo- motoring forward today. Um, before we start sort of think about the individuals, Um, Matt, I wonder if you could sort of outline what do you think the how that election will be run? What's the nomination process? What are the rules? And what is the timeline, I think, importantly, um, for the, um, the,
0: yeah, the election that is to come? So I'll cover the last point first, because as we are recording now, the Welsh Executive Committee of uh, the Labour Party is meeting to discuss timescales. But uh, from what we can see, it's likely that there will be a victor by the end of March. Uh, And from what I've heard today, talking to people, it's likely that nominations will open at some point next week. Uh, In terms of the actual rules of the contest and how you get on the ballot, that's a little bit more complicated. So Welsh Labour had a special conference a little while ago to approve the Senedd reform uh, proposals. But on that day, at the same time, they also changed their leadership uh, rules. So... Firstly, to be the next leader of Welsh Labour, you must be a member of the Senate group. Seems fairly commonsensical, right? I've had some very difficult arguments with people on the left of the Labour Party sometimes about why they didn't think that was right. But anyway, it's the it's the rules we keep, we're sticking to. But to get on the ballot, members must get either 20% of the Senate Labour group, which is six in this uh, current configuration, or 10% of the Senate Labour group, so three, plus 20% of CLPs, constituency Labour Party to so the uninitiated. And how many CRPs are there? Now 32, because we've already moved over to that. Or three affiliates, of which two must be trade unions, representing at least five of the five percent of the affiliated membership of. So you either get six MSs, the back you or five plus yourself, or you get three MSs plus uh what's twenty percent of thirty-two. Six and a half, so I seven CLPs. It's that half but that's really hard to get. Yeah, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or three affiliates, two of which must be trade unions, and you'd probably need one of the big trade unions. So either so, Unison, GMB, or Unite.
1: So what you're saying is a really streamlined, straightforward process.
0: This is that is one of the most wonderful La- Welsh Labour fudges I've ever seen. <laughs> absolutely designed by the left of the party to try and make it so that more people could theoretically be on the ballot to give members the best representative choice however it ends up as a math soup that you try have to then try and work out from what i can tell from the conversations i've had i don't think we'll need the complicated math soup but it's there in case anyone does need it
1: okay um thank you for that um Uh, pain, you know, explanation of what is quite a painful and complex web of ways of making sure that we have uh, a representative suite of candidates nominated. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, (laughs) who who are, we know, we all know this very well, I suspect our listeners do already, but um, uh, maybe Liz, you could outline who our potential candidates are and what we anticipate they are, to use an Americanism, what their lanes are. Because we used to do American elections back in the day, didn't we, Matthew? It's quite we nice to think to, about what no, that was. We we'll have to do that we'll again. We to do it again, yeah. <laughs> so.
2: Well, um, yeah, I mean, all, all the two frontrunners you'll read in every BBC and ITV article, of course, are Vaughan Gething and um, Jeremy Miles. Um, the reason why they're frontrunners is, is just kind of this... Um, broad assumption that happens in welsh in welsh politics sometimes um last obviously run before last time it was mart versus vaughan and a leonard leonard had a struggle to get on the ballot we'll talk about that in a minute um but uh, there was a lot of discussion last time which i do dare say will be repeated about how depressing it would be to have just two men running for leader of wales as it, you know they are going straight into a first minister position it's not just an opposition leader um, and, uh, yeah, Vaughn Gething ran last time and he's, he's always been quite clear about his ambitions, although I've loved the last couple of years of interviews every single time a journalist asks and they go, I'm not talking about that right now. It's not the time. So I'm so pleased it's now the time. And the next interview they get will finally be like, right. So are you running? Yeah. <clears throat> so we're expecting Vaughan and we're expecting Jeremy. Jeremy, is, he didn't run last time. I think he was considering it, but decided not to. He's um been around the Labour block for a while, even if he's only been elected since um is it 2021 intake?
1: 2016. No,
2: okay. Thought so, yeah. No, he is longer than that. Yeah. Thank you guys. Um can't can't be a perfect geek all the time. And yeah, Jeremy, he's been education minister, big big portfolio. And Leonard could run again. Um I've certainly heard um that she might run again. I've heard Hannah Blythen might run. Um she is uh, you know, what one of the more not, I'm not going to try and put Hannah in a box here, but she is a more to the public modern face of Welsh Labour. She would be, she is a younger woman. Um, she is openly gay. She is, you know, the modern female that that a lot of people in Welsh Labour wish to see, and a lot of the women that have benefited from Labour's kind of shortlist and, and gender balanced processes. So it would be th- those are the names I've heard. You, but you never, you never really know who's having conversations behind closed doors and if they don't announce they want to it's more because they don't want to be embarrassed by not having the nominations i would be fascinated to be a fly on the wall in senate offices this week because i would think quite a lot of people like the idea but never would
0: i think it's important to get if they're going to if anyone's going to do it who isn't necessarily a front runner like the four that liz just talked about they would do it soon because last time round alan davis and he davis decided they were going to announce, but did it far too late. So by which point the nominations had already sort of been eaten up by the front runners, mm-hmm. uh, and they basically ended up with only themselves to, to nominate themselves. Are you
2: saying Alan Davis and Juranka Davis, one of them might want to run this
0: time? I'm not saying anything like that. Wouldn't say I'm, anything like that. I'm not saying anything like that, but all I'm saying is that if there were candidates, because you hear this all the time, you, everyone says to me, Oh, what about so and so? What about mm. so? And I've spent the last six months to a year going, Probably not. Probably but not. if there was anybody, um, Judy James, wanting to win my beer keg bet against Rich, for example, if they wanted to do it, they'd have to do it pretty soon because
2: yeah,
0: otherwise, the, the I mean, I, these nominations are going to go imminently, especially if they open nominations next week. I think you could easily see over half the nominations going within the first uh, yeah. week or two
2: the MSs also don't they've they've always been quite good at um not having an argument in public so um if they disagree on front runners they will be having those discussions behind closed scenes i doubt you'll get any leaks about what they've discussed behind the scenes on that
1: so just you know obviously you know there some of those candidates have done tremendous podcast interviews in the recent times, Matthew, um, uh, with your good self, in fact, um, so we'd encourage people to listen back to um, our interviews with Vaughan Gething and uh, Jeremy Myers. Um However, for anybody who hasn't had the pleasure yet or doesn't really know these characters at all, could you kind of briefly outline what, in what ways they might be different to what has come before, what would be their pitch? Um, um, as, as leaders. I mean, are these all continuity Drakeford? Um, are these, um, you know, continuity Carwin Jones, or are they their own people? Um,
2: They're their own people, for sure, for sure. Matt, do you want to go first?
0: Uh, I would say just, I, I was looking back, because obviously it's this, this happened today, I was looking back over some of the old uh, election materials um from the previous leadership election and actually being quite surprised by even though he's characterized as someone on the right of the labor group how progressive in a weird way vaughan Geffen's manifesto was uh at the last uh, leadership election um and it i think you know he portrayed himself as the change candidate someone who was going to break from sort of continuity Drakefootism, or, or, or at that time this Morganite tradition that we've had in Welsh labor um His his slogan was, of course, change takes courage. So I think that uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that's where he positions himself again uh, as a change candidate, a new fresh face for Welsh Labour. Uh, I think there's a perception that he'd be very close to Keir Starmer and I think that we're going to get into the issue that will be in play during the leadership election in a bit, I'm sure. But I think that's going to be one of the big ones, like the kind of interplay of the relationship dynamics between Welsh and UK Labour and what what kind of... Do you take a clear red water approach, et cetera? I think there's the perception, at least at the minute, that the Bourne is much closer to the UK Labour Party, though I don't think that's actually true. And then I think that there's uh, Jeremy Miles, who I think will, as this Welsh-speaking... Um, viewed as a very progressive more more of a left-wing candidate than born perhaps even though again i don't think that's necessarily true so it wouldn't surprise me if he marked himself in a sort of although a bit more dynamic and a bit more of a continuity morganite drakefordite tradition uh a also i think during the last leadership election um was i think very much more on the sort of right of the party in terms of her policy platform although again not right at all, but more of the right, talking about how, talking much more about economic growth. Uh, and then Hannah is a bit of the unknown entity, I think, isn't she, in terms of what she may stand on? Um,
2: she's been deputy minister for the environment and she's been deputy social partnership minister, but she hasn't held uh, the high cabinet office, as it were, yet. I mean, I'm not sure where, where her politics lies, at it were, but Matt's not wrong. Everything everything around welsh labor Vaughan Gething is not that far from mark drakeford he's a bit more pro-business pro-business um whatever that means um he's now economy minister so we certainly had a good few years getting to grips with because the economic issues facing wales are, are quite specific it's things like steel it's things like jobs jobs leaving jobs going to different countries jobs coming to different countries and it's that kind of strategic post brexit uk market stuff he will be intimately familiar with the internal market acts and the the problems that can cause with with trade and just you know certain discussions going on there so yeah i think jeremy's had the education brief for some time so it'll be interesting to see what he says about about schools um he's he's implemented curriculum reform but someone else started that before him
1: And of course, you know, there are more changes to the school year uh, coming at this Senate term as part of, uh, that will obviously come as part of Jeremy Miles' brief. And it'd be interesting to see how that plays out in the, in the context of the leadership uh, contest. So Liz, um, one of the things that we've known about for a long time is that Vaughan Gething and Jeremy Miles are likely to be there. Uh, um, And there has this been this sort of third uh, um, place on the podium reserved for a female candidate of some kind and in previous elections that was Lynette Morgan and actually she was lent votes to be on the ballot um, in the last leadership election and it does feel a little bit like uh, we are likely to see either Hannah Bluthin or Lynette there again this time just to make sure that there's no woman on the ballot. Um, Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily Indicate that things have changed considerably inside the Labour Party um, over the last few years. Is this a, is this a sign? Of, is this a good thing to be doing for the party?
2: I mean, I I think that having a token woman on the ballot, it's a shame that she's a token. That's in in essence, is what the Labour Party generally thinks. No one wants to do a woman shortlist. No one wants to have to say can. Carwin Jones lenders vote to Elena just to make sure she's on the ballot. So the voters have a woman to vote for, even though she got the least nominations. And as Matt said, nominations are a great indicator of vote share. she got the lowest vote share too. What's funny about Welsh Labour politics is that there have been stalwart fantastic women in very, very senior positions consistently through devolution. Since 1999, Jane Hutt has been in the front seat of the cabinet she's essentially acted as deputy first minister many a time yet she's never ever ever signaled she wants to go for it we've got leslie griffiths and julie james big hitters in the cabinet done some very difficult legislation of late very difficult which is always a good sign you'll be a good first minister if you can bring different groups together to agree on one thing and get it through the senate they have never ever said they want to go for it so i think it's more of a culture of why i mean one maybe women are just smart enough to go i'll just be in charge of all the environment or all of farming for all of wales that sounds like enough uh or is it a symptom of women facing more barriers in general in politics is it a symptom people can't be bothered to have their hair and makeup unpicked over i don't think it's actually any of that i actually think that Welsh Labour just generally is like whoever's the best leader for the time. They don't, we do quite well with gender on our list, we do quite well with gender on our Senate members and it's symbolic, and not even just symbolic, it's action. When they try to get those gender quotas to be in all parties, and that's that was the big contention, it's not just Labour doing their own party lists and gender balance, no, everyone's going to have to do gender balance lists and there was such an upcry and such an upcry it's going to go to court and such an upcry has to be in a different bill. So for the Welsh Labour, they're almost beyond that of going, yeah, we've mainstreamed gender balance and everything to make sure women are there. So it's not the end of the world if our best leader happens to be a man again.
1: The problem here is, of course, the UK Labour Party feels this like an open sword, because unlike the Conservatives and unlike almost every other party, it's never had a a female leader at the UK party. And that is probably, presumably, Matthew, why this is always such a big issue.
0: Yes. And for what it's worth I, I can't work out whether it's a, it's a good thing or a bad thing that this conversation always happens every time there's a leadership election because it sort of shows that we know that morally it's a, a reprehensible thing to have a contest that is just two blokes but it always does ever so slightly tokenistic and i think that we would like i would like to see the, the party get to a point where it's not just having a woman on the balance because we think that we need to is because whomever we pick to be on that ballot has a legitimate chance of becoming a First Minister.
2: And because they earned it.
0: Yeah. Well, it, as, you, as you mentioned earlier, there have been an awful lot of
1: women brought into Cabinets, particularly Mike, by Mark Drakeford. So it might be that in the future um, that is that is something that comes along in future leadership contests. And I genuinely right.
2: think that was something he had in mind in making his Cabinet 50-50. He said some comments at the time, I remember, of. Having the best people means training the best, getting the best people that experience so that when they run, they can go, yeah, I've actually had a massive portfolio for a few years.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Right, uh, so final words. um, And I would encourage you to not be too cheesy um, uh, about how you would sum up the leadership of Mark Drakeford as Welsh Labour leader and as First Minister of Wales.
2: Regular, reliable socialism.
0: Very nice. Uh, I mean, it's clear red water, isn't it, Rich? I mean, I've, I I know in my office it's not, it's out of view now, but I've got a the clear red water print with Roger Morgan's face on it. But realistically, it should be, it should be Mark. Like the the, the fundamental tenets of the Welsh Labour Party just don't exist without Mark Drakeford. Whether it's the progressive universalism, whether it's be taking a more forward step on being viewed as a Welsh party, changing the political centre of gravity in Wales so that it is no longer a question of left or right. It's about your question, about your connection to your nation. Um, Without that, I don't think Welsh Labour is where it is. So, theoretically, without Mark Drakeford, Welsh Labour is nowhere near where it is now.
1: Wow, oh, deep. Uh, I was just going to say memes. Uh, so, so many memes. <laughs> I, you know, call me shallow. Uh, you're entitled to call me shallow. I, I, w- that, uh, I will you, uh, um, uh, make the most of my privilege having the mic at the moment, just to say there are two things that I think have been particularly, uh, have struck me over the years as Mark Drakeford. I mean, one is, I joke about the memes, but many of us will remember the catastrophically amateurish comms around Aston Martin several years ago that prompted uh, an endless a slew of gifts, modern well done Matthew, um, of, Ma- uh, of James Bond related nonsense that was one of the worst government comms things I've ever seen in my life and uh, I have to say that under Mark Drakeford one of the things that they have done is that they appear to have really upped their comms game um, which I think is great and very welcome. Uh, The other thing I would also say, just from my personal experience, again, I did a lot of comms work around Brexit um, uh, in the sort of 2016 to 2019 period when Mark Drakeford had the responsibilities for dealing with the response of that before he became first minister. Um, And he, again, just to applaud his very sensible unionism, a lot of his work at that time was around trying to make the UK union work better. And he was the early, Uh, champion of improved intergovernmental machinery trying to come up with a really sensible response and i think one of the sad things is that unionists largely poo-pooed him and you know have trampled over a lot of those ideas and now we end up back in a situation where the united kingdom parliament is um and united kingdom government is just simply throwing its weight around under the uh, auspices of sovereignty and and actually where there was an opportunity for a better union potentially post Brexit, we have ended up with a slightly worse one in some regards. Um, that's my personal reflection on it. Um, I'm sure that our listeners will have enjoyed enormously listening to your insight on the Welsh Labour Party if they would like more. Liz, can I encourage you to point people to a place where they can learn more or listen to you more?
2: Uh, you can. I usually post anything that I appear on on Liz Silversmith on X. Twitter. I can't say it. I'm sorry. I can't say it. Mm. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much where you'll find me.
1: Um. Yeah. Great, great follow, everybody. Highly recommended. Matthew. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm not calling it. Out.
0: Just, <laughs> no. Uh, at Hexter101, H E X T E R 101. Great. You're both in denial. Um,
1: if anyone has enjoyed <laughs> this podcast, uh, you can find us on all the podcast apps and on YouTube. And uh, you can also get more information about the pod on our website, walespolitics.com. And if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast and would like to support us in doing more and, spoilers, more interesting work potentially involving Liz in the future, um, please consider supporting us from just £3 a month at uh, patreon.com slash Thank
0: you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.